Okay, the book of Matthew is a book with a Jewish flavor. Particularly, it is a, it was written with the audience of the Jewish reader in mind, the Jews waiting for the Messiah King. This is why Matthew is filled with prophecies and actually many Old Testament references and quotes. Uh, we read 12 times specifically that Matthew says, this was done so that the prophecy written by was fulfilled. For example, we remember in chapter 1 of Matthew when the angel appears to Joseph. Remember, he was told to take Mary as his wife, that, that the child was conceived in her of the Holy Spirit, and she would have a son. His name would be Jesus and would save a people from their sins, etc. And then we read in verse 22, all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, being translated God with us. Also in chapter 2, there are four geographic prophecies in that one chapter. Astounding. Because again, Matthew wanting to make it crystal clear to the Jewish reader that the birth of Christ and the events surrounding it were according to prophecy. So in chapter 2 alone, you have the prophecy of Micah, born in Bethlehem. You have the prophecy of Hosea, that his son would come out of Egypt. You have the prophecy from Jeremiah relating to the children and the suffering around Bethlehem. And then you have the prophecy that he would be a Nazarene. Astounding. Four prophecies, one, two, three, four, in one chapter, again, to show that he was the Messiah fulfilling the scriptures. And also Matthew presents Christ particularly as the king, again, because the Jews waiting for the Messiah king to come. This is why Matthew opens with the genealogy of a king, the royal genealogy showing that he was the son of David. It speaks of the king or the kingdom no less than 70 times. Matthew 5, we hear Jesus speaking in his ministry with the authority of a king. He said, Moses said to you, but I say unto you. And again, how he confronts the Jewish leaders in Matthew 23 with great authority. In Matthew 25, 31, Jesus says of himself, the son of man will come in glory and sit on the throne of glory. And he is asked clearly in Matthew 27, 11, are you the king of the Jews? And he says, I am. And then lastly, at the end of that chapter 27, over his head when he is on the cross, they put the sign saying, here is the king of the Jews. Therefore, it's no surprise to us that the story of the wise men coming from afar, seeking the king of the, of the Jews, is found in the book of Matthew where they come asking that question, where is he born the king of the Jews? <clears throat> so let's go to the text together. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, now notice that phrase, after he was born. This is in fact some time after. We have the scene with the shepherds in the manger, etc. in Luke 2. But this is some time after. I'm sorry to burst the bubble if you... 
you know, we have our Christmas cards with the shepherds and the wise men together at the manger with the star over it, but that's not actually uh, how it happened. I'm also sorry to burst the bubble if we have the picture of the three kings on three camels, uh, you know, but that's also inaccurate. Uh, but we enjoy our Christmas cards, etc. But nevertheless, uh, what, what do we know to be true? After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in verse 11 it says, they came to the house and saw the child. They didn't come to the manger to see the baby. So some time has passed, at least some months, if not longer. We know that when Herod killed the babies, based on what the wise men told him, he killed those up to two years. So we don't know how much time has passed, but certainly enough time that he is called a young child. And the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. They headed for the capital, of course, to speak to the head of state or whoever it might be. And who were they? This is our question this morning. Where were they from? And why did they come? And what did they know? Tradition, of course, again, the three kings, but again, probably there were many more than three. They certainly weren't kings, and they would have had a a group with them, a caravan, security, um, servants, horses, etc. It would have been quite, quite a spectacle. And it says that they are called wise men. And here we get our first important uh, clue and insight. The Greek word here for wise men is magos. In fact, some translations use the word magi uh, rather than wise men, and that's accurate. And this is not a word that can be translated, but this is referring to a tribe, an ancient tribe called the Magi. And scholars agree that they are from the area of ancient Babylon and Persia. Uh, The ancient historian Herodotus identifies them as a priestly tribe within the ancient Medes. And again, that's to the east. Uh, where the center of the Babylonian and the Medo-Persian kingdom would be. It's that region that they are thought to have come from. And they were known to be skilled in in the sciences of astronomy and also had a reputation in sorcery, divination, and the knowledge of astrology. And the word magi or magian over time came to be associated with our words magic or magician. The Magi in the first century, uh, uh, we, we see the roots of the Magi even up in the first century in the book of Acts. On Paul's journey, it says, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain sorcerer. The Greek word is magos. And his name was Elymas, which interestingly enough, uh, is perhaps derived from the Aramaic, Arabic name wise, to be wise. He was a wise man, and he was uh, uh, of the Magos. Also in Acts chapter 8, we have Philip and Peter and John, and they meet Simon the sorcerer. Again, the word is Magos, related to that tribe of the Magi. It says all the people gave were astonished because of his sorceries, The Greek word there is magia. So again, Herodotus said that the ancient kings would consult the magi, this 
priestly tribe for their wisdom and insights regarding the signs and the stars. The Magi would often be seen as counselors to the kings. You could imagine that they would get certain position and authority that would come with that. This earned the Magi the reputation of being wise men. The famous law of the Medes and the Persians, uh, quite, um, uh, if you study that, it's quite re renowned. The, uh, one characteristic of that law is that it could never be repealed or changed once it had been laid down. We remember this in the books of uh, Esther and, and, uh, and Daniel. These laws became the required instruction for the kings of Persia. And there were a couple of conditions. If you would become a king in ancient Persia, you would be expected to know and comply with the ancient laws of the Medes and the Persians. And they would actually have to approve of you accordingly in order for you to be king. Therefore, they came to be known as the king makers, which helps us understand why Herod was so troubled when he heard that the Magi, these ancient king makers from the east, were coming, asking, where is the king of the Jews? So if we look at a verse in, in Esther 1, it says, The king said to the wise men who understood the times, for this was the king's manner towards all who knew law and justice, those closest to him being, and then he names them, the seven princes of Persia and Media, Media, Media who had access to the king's presence, who ranked highest in the kingdom. What shall we do to Queen Vashti according to the law because she did not obey the command of the king? The king goes to the wise men, these magi, this ancient tribe, for their counsel and their wisdom. But the most insightful verses we have in the Old Testament are from Daniel. And stay with me here as we look at a few of those verses. We remember this is 500 years before these wise men would come to Jerusalem and speak to Herod. This is 500 years before in our Old Testament, the book of the prophet Daniel. <clears throat> we remember when Nebuchadnezzar had the dream, and what did he do? He asked the wise men in the kingdom if they could interpret the dream. We actually read, he gave command to call the magicians, and there that is the magi, and in fact, the, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uses the word magi, uh, the same Greek word in these verses. And verse 10, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on the earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, ruler has ever asked such things of any magi, astrologer, or Chaldean. Also in verse 12, for this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. Now, if this had happened, we might not have the story we have in Matthew chapter 2, if he had actually done this. But as we know, the story goes on that Daniel stepped forward, was able to interpret the dream and therefore saved all the wise men of Babylon. Babylon. 
And then look what happens. He is promoted by Nebuchadnezzar. Let's skip down to verse 48. Then the king promoted Daniel, gave him many gifts, made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon. And look at this. And the chief administrator over all the wise men, this is the magi of Babylon. Now that's important, isn't it? That gives us a bit of an important background. That Daniel became the head and the administrator and the leader, particularly, it says, over the wise men of Babylon. Why is this important? Because we know who Daniel was. We remember his life, his convictions, how he stood as a young teenager and didn't comply with what was expected of him according to the gods of Babylon, that he held on to his faith and and conviction, that his friends wouldn't bow down when he was told that you cannot pray to any other god except for the king of Babylon. It says, Daniel, knowing this was written, opened the windows, faced Jerusalem, and prayed three times a day. He was a man of conviction. What's more important to us than that are his prophecies in Daniel 7, 8, 9, etc. in the last part of the book. And all of his prophecies were about what? The Messiah and the King and the Kingdom who would come. Every one of Daniel's prophecies leads us through the timeline of history and it ends with the coming king who would set up his kingdom on the earth, the Messiah king, the king of the Jews. Now, in my mind, I find it hard to believe that Daniel wouldn't have shared those prophecies and insights and the scriptures of the Jews and the messianic expectation that would be in the heart of any believing Jew with the Magi. We read in Daniel 5, this is under Belshazzar, a king afterwards, it says there is a man in your kingdom who is the spirit of, who's who is, has the spirit of the holy God in him. This is the reputation that Daniel had. He was a man that had the spirit of the holy God in him. Remember Nebuchadnezzar, when he had his dream interpreted, he said to Daniel, your God is a God of gods, a king of kings, a lord of lords, a revealer of secrets. And we remember in Nebuchadnezzar's uh, humiliation, how his confession about Daniel's God was, was profound. So Daniel had quite a voice, quite an influence in this era. He was head over the Magi and he would have shared his faith. Perhaps he even told them about the prophets, prophecies of Isaiah in 7.14 and 9.6, that a a child would be born, a son would be given, the government would be upon his shoulders, etc. His name would be Emmanuel. He would be born of a virgin, etc. Perhaps Daniel even shared with them the prophecy from Numbers 24.17, where it says, I shall see him, this isn't speaking about Israel, but it's speaking about one who would come from Israel or out of Israel, I shall behold him, but not near. I will see him, but not now. I will behold him, but not near. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Notice those two things, a star and a king. Now, let's go back to our text in Matthew, and hopefully that background will will enrich uh, the text for us. 
This is their question. Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. This is all that they say. This is all that we have recorded that they say. Just these couple of lines, but there's incredible insight we can get from it. First of all, where is he who has been born? They believe that. Their question wasn't in that, has the king been born? Their question was, where is he? They believed that he had been born. They knew it was coming, and they believed it had happened. Again, Isaiah 9, 6, unto us a child is born, a son is given. They saw the star, and they believed with the limited knowledge they had, the prophecies that they knew, and they came searching. For we have seen his star in the east. Notice this. Why are they seeking him? This is the phrase here. For we have come to worship him. This is the reason for their journey. Why did they come? Because they believed that the king of the Jews, the Messiah, had been born. And they came to worship him. He was worthy of their worship, certainly. And their question is, where is he? So this is the only thing they were asking, not who is he or has he been born, but where is he? They traveled a long way from the east by faith with that question or with that expectation, we we would say. They came with the expectation that they would see him, they would find him, they would worship him. Just like the queen of Sheba, Sheba traveled so far to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And it's beautiful to think of the seeking heart. I love to meet someone who is seeking, don't you? Someone who is really asking, who who say, open the Bible. Can you tell me? I would love to know God. I would love to be a Christian. How is that possible? And we can actually help them. We can lead them. We can show them where Bethlehem is, where the baby was born, so to speak. We can take them to Galilee. We can speak about the public ministry of Christ. We can take them to the cross of Golgotha. We can show them where Jesus was born, where he had his public ministry, where he died through the scriptures. For it is so clearly laid out and recorded and written. So when Herod heard this, and again, because they came to Jerusalem, right? So when Herod heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Troubled here means shaken with fear and all Jerusalem with him, particularly because they were probably worried about what Herod would do when he heard this. And their fear was justified because of what he actually did do with the babies that were killed. Verse 4, when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Now there's an important connection to make here. Notice, They said, where is the king of the Jews? That was a term that any Gentile would use referring to the Messiah, the king of the Jews. It was a messianic term. So when Herod knew that, heard that, he knew what they were asking. They were asking, where is the Jewish Messiah born? And that's why he gathered the chief priests and the scribes and he inquired of them where the Christ, the Messiah, was to be born. Verse 5, so they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, 
for thus it is written of the prophet. See that? They knew. They didn't say, oh boy, that's a good question. We'll give us a week and we'll get back to you. We're going to go and study the scriptures. We'll ask around. They knew instantly because this was a prominent prophecy regarding the Messiah that he would be born in Bethlehem. In John 7:40, and during Jesus' ministry, it says, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said, Christ from the seed of David out of the town of Bethlehem? It was known to be the case. So the scribe said to him, Oh, Bethlehem, for sure, because Micah the prophet said 700 years before, or 500 years before. And, we, and here is the prophecy in Micah 5.2 that they quoted. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the chiefs of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will be shepherd of my people Israel. Now, what's interesting is that the scribes left off the last line of this verse. And I'll give it to you because it's an incredible line. The verse goes on to say, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. But they didn't say that. Perhaps in their natural mind and reasoning, they couldn't associate the Messiah King who would come as being eternal, from everlasting. So they left that part off. But certainly they answered the question where the Messiah would be born. And Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. Why? Because he was trying to work out how old the baby would be at this time. Now we don't know what the wise men said. We don't have their answer. We do know that based on what they said, he went and had babies killed up to two years old. Now, how, do, how did they know to go to Bethlehem? Here's a trivia question for you. I think most Christians will probably answer this incorrectly. How did the wise men know to go to Bethlehem? Most people will say, well, because of the star. But actually, that's not correct. This is how they knew to go to Bethlehem. And he sent them to Bethlehem. This is how they knew to go to Bethlehem, because Micah the prophet wrote it will be in Bethlehem. The scribes told Herod he would be born in Bethlehem. And then Herod said to the wise men, go to Bethlehem. Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Now, of course, we know that wasn't his intent. He wanted, of course, to, to kill any, anyone that would be a threat to his throne. Verse 9, and when they heard the king, they departed. When they heard what he said, they departed. Where did they go? They started heading towards Bethlehem. And the star which they had seen in the east went before them until it came and stood over where the young child was. So the star certainly more specifically guided them to the house where the child was, um, but they were already going to Bethlehem. Now, sometimes when you read things about this, you get explanations about supernovas and, you know, uh, but, it, but it seems simple enough to me that this was supernatural that God used a star, it was certainly uh, unique. It says here, it came to, and stood over where the young child was. 
And for us, with simple faith, that's not complicated. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy, with that witness in their heart that they were coming to the right place. And we've experienced that exceeding joy also. Verse 11, And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. Again, not referred to as a babe here, but a child. Some time had passed. There's a wonderful principle we pluck from this story, and it's this, that if you seek him, you will find him. Um, sometimes you hear, you hear that phrase at Christmas time, wise men still seek him. And that's true. For if you seek him, you will find him. They were not disappointed. Isn't that wonderful in this story? When these men left, they were not disappointed. They saw the young child. And what did they do? They fell down and they worshipped him. I love this, that they weren't distracted or deterred by the humble circumstances, that this baby was in this humble house in Bethlehem with, this, with his mother and father, and, but it wasn't in a palace or in Jerusalem, but they bowed down and they worshipped him. Maybe it's also good to note they didn't worship Mary. They didn't bow down and worship Mary but they recognized that he was the one that was worthy of their worship. Mary was a sinner saved by grace. She is not worthy of our worship. We should not pray to her. She cannot answer our prayers. She would be horrified if she could see how she has been portrayed throughout church history. They were not enamored by the mother, but by the child they fell down and worshipped the king. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's been said that maybe there is a significance uh, in in these gifts, that gold recognized his kingship or perhaps even his deity. Frankincense was used in the temple by the priest. We know that he was to be our high priest. And myrrh was used to anoint bodies at death, so that even foreshadowed and looked ahead to his death. And then lastly, verse 12. And then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod if they hadn't already sussed that out themselves, uh, God made sure they knew not to go back to Herod, so they departed for their own country another way. Now, as we close this morning... I can't help uh, see the, the contrast that we find in this story between the scribes and the chief priests and the high priest and even Herod and, the, and these wise men. The scribes, uh, we don't read that they went to Bethlehem. We don't read that Herod went to Bethlehem. He said, where is he born? Bethlehem. Okay, go to Bethlehem. But we don't read that the scribes or any others went to Bethlehem, only these wise men who we understand were Gentiles. 
They had so much information. They knew the prophecies. They had the knowledge. And yet they wouldn't travel a few miles to Bethlehem themselves to see if this was true, to see the child themselves. They didn't say, let's go to Bethlehem and find him who has been born and let us worship him. Many today have information, but it does not move them. Here we are in England, and there are so many churches and Bibles and opportunities, and yet people are not moved with the information. They do not become seekers. They will not go seven miles down the road to Bethlehem to see for themselves, but they live their life, and they miss the most beautiful treasure and understanding and gift that can be given to man in Christ. But these wise men, with the little information that they have, we don't know what it was. But they came far and they came by faith. In Hebrews 11.6, it says that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And what is the reward? The reward is that which you are seeking for. It is him. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, and you find him. That's the reward. I think these wise men went, went back wiser. I think they went back with such thankfulness and joy in their hearts as so much of, of Israel and so much among the scribes were sleeping and did not know what was happening. There was a secret that was known by a few. Remnant believers who heard, who believed, and who came. Remember the words of Simeon uh, on the eighth day when he held the baby in the, at the temple back in Luke 2. What did he say? It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. He would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and he said, and this is what he said. He said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Perhaps this is what the wise men said on their journey back. Our eyes have seen his salvation. Wow, amazing. And we can say that also that we have been moved by this information, by the scriptures, by the prophecies. We have come by faith. We have believed in him, and we, we have an assurance, a blessed assurance in our hearts that our eyes have seen his salvation, and we've received it as a gift. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for another opportunity to open the Bible, to draw near with your people, to come by faith, to hang on your words, to listen with an open heart, to not have any familiarity or indifference in our hearts, but we have come to worship you. For you are the King of kings. You are the Savior and there is no other. 
For you are the Messiah, the one that the prophets spoke of. You have fulfilled them. Hundreds of prophecies that you came, you were born, you lived, and you died on the cross for us, for our sins. Oh, we thank you for such a wonderful salvation, such a beautiful Savior, such a wonderful name, a name above all names, Jesus. We love you and we thank you this morning that we, we are saved. Oh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We thank you that we were blind, but now we see that we did not know, but now we know. We were unsaved, but now we are saved. Our eyes have seen your salvation. Thank you, Lord. Oh, but we never want to leave this moment without giving an opportunity. Perhaps there's one here this morning or listening online and you are not sure of your salvation. Oh, listen, it is the most important consideration and decision you could ever make. Jesus does not want to, he did not come to judge, but he was judged for you. He now comes with grace and mercy and salvation to any who would believe, who would turn in their heart, confess him, look to him, believe in him, and say, oh, Jesus, I am a sinner, and I need a savior, and I believe you are the savior. Save me today by grace through faith. Trust him. Look to him. He will give you a brand new life, a brand new beginning in him. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for this season that we're in. We pray even now for, we think of next week, uh, our morning service, the carol service. We pray for the visitors that are going to come into this room. We pray that you would open hearts, speak to hearts, find lost men and women, save people, bless people, draw people. We ask and pray for you to do that work. Use us. Use these times, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.